Good afternoon, it's 12 o'clock and welcome to the Money Web at Midday Show. My name is Raik Vinikar. Well, it's uh, another red day on the markets and it really doesn't look pretty. The JSC lost half a percent yesterday and it's on course to post another significant drop today. Commodities are especially under pressure with the spot price of platinum hitting a new 52-week low of $785. And uh, to make matters worse, it seems as if there is an almost invisible bear market on the JSE. Research from Methodical shows that only a third or 53 of the 160 counters uh, in the All Share Index have uh, increased this year, which means there is a lot of companies actually trading down and many of them trading down by more than 20%. And I'll speak to Stephen van Jaarsveld of Methodical uh, a bit later about this research. And uh, Signia also announced today that it, it will close all their hedge funds due to the bad name, the high fees in the industry give these funds. And I'll speak to Magda Verzitska about the reasons for this pretty aggressive decision. And I'll speak to Wayne McCurry of FNB Wealth and Investments about the markets and other stories. But first, let's look at the indicators. The JC All Share down uh, 0.76%, down to 57 1,171 points. Resources down 1.5%. Industrials down 0.9%. Financials also down 0.15%. The gold index getting hammered uh, down 4.5%, mostly due to gold fields that is being hit again today. On international markets, the FTSE 100 down 0.17%. The DAX uh, 0.1% higher. The CIC 40 is trading flat. Earlier in Asia, the Nikkei lost 0.68%. The Shanghai uh, down 2.07%, while the Hang Seng also down 2.2%. Let's look at individual individual shares that are performing well. Uh, CUP has gained 5.3%. AB InBev up 2.15%. Kiro uh, gained uh, virtually 2%, as did Diskem. And uh, Telcom also d- up uh, 0.9%, as is Richmond trading up, uh, trading 0.8% higher. On the downside, Goldfields down another 8.15% after being hit uh, yesterday due to announcements of uh, job cuts at its uh, one of its mines, the South Deep Mine. Um, Kumba Iron Ore down 5.8%, Anglo is down 3.6%, Anglo Gold down 3.18%. Naspers also down 2.6%. Let's look at the, the currencies. The uh, Rand is currently trading at 14.44 against the dollar, 18.34 against the pound, and 16.33 against the euro. The dollar is trading at 111 Japanese yen. Uh, the euro is trading at $1.13 and the pound at $1.27. Bitcoin uh, having a good day up 2.3% to $6,333 or 95,000 Rand. Gold is trading at $1,186. Platinum down 2% to $785. Brent crude uh, also down by 1% to $71.72. On the capital market, the R186 uh, stands at 8.93%. Wayne McCurry of uh, FMB Wealth and Investments. Wayne, what do you make of the markets today? It does, certainly doesn't look like a, like a happy day. No, not at all. Look, gold's a very specific set of circumstances, and that, I suppose, related to, as you mentioned, gold field and the gold price itself. But, you know, you're a brave, you're a brave person to own a gold share, uh, given 
in all the fundamentals. But the resource shares are under heavy pressure here, not just gold. And that's on the back of, you know, the economic data that came out of uh, China yesterday. wasn't bad, but it certainly didn't quite meet expectations. So that was a little worse than expected. And then, of course, President Trump and Turkey and all the uncertainty related to that. But the mining shares put gold and platinum in the side. The mining shares have done extremely well in relation to the rest of the market for quite a while now. So maybe a little bit of weakness is not untoward. But the platinum price, uh, $784.70 currently, that's a 52-week low, and it seems to be uh, continuing on its downward path. And if you exclude Anglo-American platinum, they one mine. If you put all the other mines together in a, in a pot, you know, you need at least $200 more per ounce for these companies to even break even. So something's got to give. I mean, either the mines must close production, as they have all announced or are going to announce, London and Impala, etc., or the price must go up because if these mines are unsustainable at these current prices, they are bleeding cash left, right and centre. Mm. Well, you know, obviously there's a social and political yes. impact on South Africa as well. And we saw the Reserve Bank today state that uh, they really do expect poor growth. Um, for this year, they've downgraded their expectations to 1.2%, and that is a significant downgrade, half a percentage point from 1.7, um, and that doesn't bode well at all. No, not at all. Look, let's just wait and see what the second quarter looks like and try it out. But unfortunately, for many, many reasons, of which most are external factors, this year is not shaping up to be nearly as positive as what we were all expecting at the end of last year. So it does very unfortunately come as a bit of a disappointment, I think, to everyone. Mm. Yeah, definitely not good news. Uh, how much of this is attributable to international um, factors and how much can we actually point the, the finger to ourselves? Look, virtually all is attributable to international factors. So let's pick a number and put 80% of it, and that is President Trump and Turkey, and maybe even more importantly, rising American interest rates and rising global interest rates. In other words, the change of the cycle from a very accommodative cycle to a slightly more restrictive cycle, and then President Trump and sanctions and Turkey and emerging market fears. And then the 20% you can attribute to South Africa is just the uncertainty around land expropriation. I'm not particularly concerned about it, but until we know the rules, there will be this uncertainty, and and unfortunately that counts as a negative. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Wayne. That was Wayne McCurry of FNB Wealth and Investments. Uh, Now on the line is uh, Magda Verzitska of Signia, and uh, Signia in the news today because it was announced that... uh, it will close all the hedge funds. Uh, Magda, welcome to the show. Why are you closing your funds? Well, you know, fundamentally, uh, yeah, we've been running our funds of hedge funds products for the better part of 13 years. And I've got to be honest, like we bought the Kool-Aid and the Kool-Aid or drank the Kool-Aid, which basically was this promise, inherent promise, um, that hedge funds can deliver, you know, two-thirds of the market upside in terms of equities, but uh, in times of market volatility and faults in the market, 
they will preserve capital and at worst will deliver one third of the market downside. Mm-hmm. And for that, you paid very, very hefty performance fees. Um, and, you know, for, for the past 11 years out of the 13 years, they seem to achieve exactly that. And again, charged very hefty fees for the experience. But what everyone missed in that equation is that obviously that coincided with this quantitative easing, huge amounts of money flooding into equity markets and equity markets delivering 20% plus returns. So that kind of a return floated all both. Now that we are living through a period of volatility of negative market returns, you would expect hedge funds to come to the party and for all those fees that they have levied. And we're talking about millions and millions of rent increase, um, that they would be able to preserve capital. Meanwhile, we're seeing hedge funds, you know, on a monthly basis, delivering returns such as negative 17% or negative 5%, negative 7%. So watching this equation, um, you know, it's become very, very obvious that they cannot deliver on the promise of capital preservation. And perhaps it's a function of the fact that, you know, South Africa is an emerging market it's really at the mercy of global investors, macroeconomic trends, Donald Trump's tweets, um, rather than you know this kind of concept of returns being driven by fundamental analysis and stock selection, which is what you know hedge funds traditionally pride themselves on. But they're not delivering what um, they have promised to deliver to investors. Um, and despite that, they're charging incredible fees. But, so but- the time has come to say goodbye. But is that only your funds? Uh, are you speaking? Obviously, the industry is not uh, growing as uh, it was expected. I think it's only around 50 billion, um, the size of it. Um, yeah. Are you talking the industry or just Signia? So I'm talking um, Signia. So what we have been running and what we have been running is, um, you know, a suite of risk profiles, funds of hedge funds. So we would select within each product, we would select um, 20 to 30 hedge funds and, you know, allocate money to them and blend them together. Um, so we have withdrawn all that money out of hedge funds already um, on the institutional side. And we just have some strangler retail investors still investing in hedge funds. And we obviously are writing to all of them and asking them to fill out those switch forms. Um, so, so we out of hedge funds. As who, who, managed, manager. who managed those funds? Was it in-house or did you outsource it? it, was in, it uh, so the fund, the fund of hedge funds was managed in-house. We did all the research on the hedge funds themselves and we selected the hedge funds that we would invest in. But obviously the hedge funds management itself happened within the funds themselves. Um, and those were all third-party hedge fund managers. Mm. Um, but the industry, you know, if, you, if you're looking at market trends, the hedge fund industry as a whole has not been growing. In fact, it has been shrinking. I think it peaked at about, you know, above 70 billion, and it's now coming down rapidly. Mm. Um, and that's also equivalent to what's happening globally. You know, as investors realize that, uh, you know, fees are one of the biggest determinants of what your eventual savings outcome is. Uh, people are disinvesting from active funds. People are disinvesting from hedge funds and investing in passive products. Yeah, just talking about the fees. How do the South African fees compare with what is charged internationally? Because especially in the US, the the hedge fund market is a lot bigger. Um, you know, relative mm-hmm. uh, within the collective mm-hmm. investment uh, market. 
Indeed. So, so look, the fees are not dissimilar. I mean, in the U.S., you do come across funds which are still charging, you know, 2 and 20. So it's 2%, basically 20% of all positive performance. In South Africa, the fees have tended to be, the visible fees, have tended to be um, 1% to 1.5% per annum basic fee plus 20% of all positive returns. That's kind of a standard fee structure for a hedge fund. But what wasn't transparent to investors is that many hedge funds in South Africa, in addition to those fees, have put through many of the operating expenses. And when I talk about operating expenses, I'm talking about because it was such an opaque world of limited partnerships and, you know, kind of legal structuring, they managed to put through things like operating expenses of their businesses administration expenses. So rather than taking those expenses out of the management fee, which is what a standard asset manager does, they actually added it to the cost of the fund. Um, In addition to that, obviously hedge funds trade very actively. So their trading costs are three times what an actively managed fund, um, you know, trades and and hence pays in, in fees. So in addition to the one and 20 or one and a half and 20 that they charge, you're looking at three times the trading costs than you, that you would have in a normal, even actively managed fund. And then these operating expenses, which add another 0.5% to the equation, which were never made transparent to investors, which were never disclosed to investors. And a lot of this has come um, out in this process of hedge funds having to convert to, be, uh, to becoming unit trusts. Mm. And all of a sudden, the level of disclosure increased. And a lot of things kind of, you know, crept out of the woodwork as part of that process. So if you don't perform, uh, beat market expectations, beat the market, uh, you can't charge those fees. And uh, that's that's the core reason why you, you, you're closing those funds. Well, you know what? The core reason is they are not delivering on the promise of preserving capital. They're just not, you know. So, so they certainly in, you know, if, if you look at the, their history over the past 13 years, um, you know, in combination, they've delivered something like money market plus maybe 3 to 4% return, net of fees. And, you know, in negative market, and that was in a bull market when equities were delivering 20%. In negative market conditions, they're delivering 100% of the market downside. So, um, you know, I don't, see any reason there are easier and much much cheaper ways of earning money market plus three percent per annum than a hedge fund just lastly what without you, having to carry the risk yeah just lastly what do you expect of the hedge fund industry in south africa um because this doesn't bode well oh. your your decision will uh, cast a, a shadow on the rest of the industry yes yeah, so, so i don't expect to be the most popular person in town today um but I think it will make investors, and look, this has always been the premise on which we've run Signia. Investors need to be better educated. Mm. And, so, you know, I'm hoping that that will make, you know, what we've done and the fact that obviously it, it has um, gathered some publicity and we've had a lot of phone calls this morning, that people start looking at fees. And um, in particular, I think, you know, the, the um, biggest culprit in town um, it's a hedge fund, um, and it prob- probably does not bode well for the industry, but they deserve it. 
And trust me, don't feel sorry for them because many of these hedge funds, three, four billion rand hedge funds, will charge close to 40 million rand in fees every year uh, plus. So they've made their money. Mm. Um, and hence, you know, I've got absolutely no sympathy for hedge funds. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Magda. That was Magda Vazitska of Signia. Pretty, uh, pretty aggressive words there, and uh, the industry may need to reflect. But uh, let's uh, look at another interesting story, and that is research from Methodical, which found that only 53 or a third of the 160 stocks um, in the JSE All Share Index are trading higher since the beginning of the year. Uh, on the line is Stephen van Jaarsveld of Methodical. Stephen, welcome to the show. You know, the JSE is down between, I think, uh, 4 and 5% since the beginning of the year. Um, the All Share at least. Um, and your research shows a significant discrepancy. Uh, what does this mean? Hello, Rick. Um Thanks for having me. Um, well, at Methodical, we're a systematic equity manager, and what we do is we use the data to guide our investment decisions. And one of the metrics that we look at um, to to mine mine in the markets, uh, or to try and generate alpha in the markets, is momentum. And the one thing we've started to realise uh, since the beginning of the year is how little market breadth there actually is currently in the market. Um, as you mentioned, uh, it's only a third of all the stocks in the market is, is up uh, year to date. Um, and this is, a, this is an increasing trend that we've seen, um, let's say, over the last year or so. Um, and uh, we've, we've actually seen it starting to increase uh, or accelerate um, over the last three months, where more than 72% of the shares in the market is down for the year. So on, a, on, a, on an index level, the market doesn't look as bad um, as, it, you know, as, a, as the return suggests. But if you dig a little bit deeper and you look at the actual underlying companies that make up the index, um, it's, it tells a very different story. But the, uh, the research also shows that the stocks that are down are down significantly. The majority or more than 50% are down more than 10%, while a fifth um, are down more than 20%. Yes. Now, that's, I mean, it's, it's worrying numbers. We, um, we, we obviously see it because we run an active local equity fund. We've got an active uh, local protected equity fund and a global equity fund. And... Using uh, momentum as one of our metrics, we started to realize it's very, very difficult to actually find opportunities. Um, and this is, a, this is a trend we've seen now in the Aussie and in global markets um, since last year, where your largest, uh, let's say your largest counters in your index are, doing, are returning the best performance. So for an active manager, it becomes very, very tough to actually outperform your benchmark if you look very different to the benchmark. Um, so typically you'd see last year where most of the index funds did really well or the index tracking funds did really well and active managers struggled. The main reason for that is uh, active managers do look different to the benchmark uh, from time to time. And 
if your largest market cap shares are do, are returning their best performance, it's almost impossible to keep up with the market. Um, this is a trend locally and globally. As I said, uh, globally, we've got the FANG problem with the Facebook, Apples, and Netflix, and Googles, and all those. Um, and they they are the strongest performers. And if you if you don't own those shares at the moment, um, despite of what your risk appetite is, um, you will underperform the, the the benchmark. But the the shares that are actually driving or keeping the the market uh, higher um, are the big uh, resource counters: BHP, Billiton, Anglo American, Naspers. Also, is trading higher. Um, if you strip out those big counters, you know, would that be uh, a more fair reflection of the market? Uh, and, and did you do the research to see exactly um, if you strip out those counters, what the market would be down? Uh, uh, Raik, I don't have the exact number um, for you, but the market would be down a lot more than it, than it is now. Um, we've, we've looked at the market breadth uh, in relation to similar period over 2008. Um, and it's not that we're calling a market crash or anything like that. It's just that in 2008, we had a very similar um, type of market where I remember, the, I, re- I remember the phrase coined by someone, it was called the Magnificent Seven, where we had seven shares that were driving the market uh, in positive territory. Although most of the market was in a bear market a year prior to that. Um, and the seven was typically your Billitons, Anglos, Sassel, NTN, Standard Bank. I can't, I can't remember all of them. Um, but it's typical to what we're seeing now. It's, it's, it's a very few of the largest counters keeping the index level up, um, where most of the shares are actually in, they're already in the bear market. Does it also suggest that your smaller medium uh, caps are under more pressure um, than, say, the some of the shares included in the top uh, in the LC uh, index? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, from the MoneyWeb website, I remember reading a story where we currently have the cheapest small cap index in the world. Um, and if you look at some of the value funds, how they have performed over the last year, last year or two, they've really they've really struggled, and that's that's shown by you know the the, the let's say the, the bond that they fish in. Um, the yeah. thing is though, is it the place to go and hide, or you know try and find value? I don't know. Um, if if markets if markets do turn around, we've we've the data have shown us that uh, all correlations go to one. So whether you would be better protected in something that's cheaper or, you know, that's, already, that's still very expensive like this, um, we're not sure of that. We're not, we're not too convinced by that. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Stephen. That was Stephen van Jaarsveld of Methodical. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. From myself, Rijk van Kerk and the MoneyWeb team, thanks for tuning in.